everyone. Welcome to the No Sugar Added Podcast, where we have raw conversations about what self-employment really looks like. I'm your host, Joanne Augustine, ready to give you today's blend and cup of excellence. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're joined by a very special guest. Her name is Margaret Remy, and she is a full-time public health scientist and personal wealth coach. She is also the founder of Get Your Life Financial, aka GYL Financial. See what she did there? (laughs) Her story is very interesting. Margaret started coaching black women to improve their finances because she believes reducing the racial wealth gap will contribute to reducing health disparities in minority communities. In my interview with her today, you'll hear her simple strategies to increase your savings, significantly reduce your debt, and just general tips on how to manage your money better. Let's get into today's blend. Being your own boss can be great. But when you're self-employed, you also become your own HR rep, office manager, and accountant. Unlike a traditional 9-to-5 job, self-employed people do not receive a steady paycheck or employer benefits. So, this unpredictable nature of being self-employed requires you to manage your money very attentively. So without an employer guaranteeing a consistent paycheck, how do you stay on top of your finances? Well... There are three primary ways. Number one, save, and then also have an emergency fund. The idea is to have resources you can draw on whenever your business gets to a slow period because it will happen. For your emergency fund, the goal should be working towards eventually saving six months worth of living cost. So how much are you supposed to save? First, calculate your average monthly expenses. Then whenever your income exceeds those expenses, save the surplus in the reserve fund. So what that means is any extra money that you make outside of your expenses, you need to be setting aside in an account for a rainy day. Number two, have separate accounts. You need to have an account specifically for your business. Now, this is where you're going to be paying for like any business expenses that you have. And this is also where you save your percentage for taxes that you're going to need to pay. Now, one thing to note, as long as you earn $400 or more from self-employment, you need to be putting that tax money aside. And you should be budgeting for your taxes all year long. You can either pay your taxes quarterly or you can pay them at the end of the year. But definitely make sure that whenever a transaction is made, that you are setting aside that revenue, a percentage of that revenue for taxes. Also, you should have a personal account. So your personal account would be where the savings that we talked about earlier would go. Um, Now, this is separate from the emergency fund account. The emergency fund account is where you should have uh, six months worth of expenses there, like that's for a rainy day, and then you should just have a personal savings account that you're just constantly adding money to, even if it's just like $20. Any extra surplus that you have, you throw in this account. And then also, in your personal checking account, that's where you can pay for other essentials like groceries and whatnot. 
but the business stuff, keep it in one account and keep that separate because it's going to be so much easier for you to track just like the financial development of your business as well, how much you're paying on certain expenses, um, and then also how much you're generating from a revenue standpoint, how much is being put aside for taxes. Uh, When you do look to expand your business later on, having a business account is going to help you kind of move that process along to get business credit. So definitely establish that ahead of time. And then also start teaching yourself, although you are self-employed and all the money that you're making is yours technically you have to understand that your business is its own entity and then your personal life is separate obviously as you first get started whatever money goes through is like okay i need to pay this bill boom i pay that bill but as you get a little bit more established and you kind of create that behavioral change where you tell yourself okay this is the money that my business made this is what I need to use to pay for business expenses, which include like internet, your cell phone bill. Those are still business because you're using that for your business, right? So you separate that and then anything that's outside of that, like groceries as an example, or like trips that aren't business related, you have that in a separate account. So it's kind of like you teach yourself to pay yourself after you've paid for your expenses. That's the idea here with keeping the accounts separate. And then by doing that, you're then creating yourself an opportunity to build on your personal finances and generate that personal wealth, which Margaret will be getting into more detail with us in the interview segment. So not only will having separate accounts make financial planning easier, it'll help you figure out what tax deductions you can take at the end of the year as well because you have everything in one area number three create and follow a budget so i know i know when you're self-employed it's up and down up and down which we kind of talked about earlier which is why you need to have a savings account right but you still need to try to um create some type of Uh, predictable income and you can do that by just understanding an average um, looking at your earnings from an average standpoint so if you take all the money that you generated in like for example six months take the average of that and see how much on average you're making a month and based off of that you can create your budget for yourself and then in your budget make sure that you are recording all of the business expenses any receipts that you have you save those um, i personally just have an excel sheet for all of the income that i've generated and i also have another excel sheet for all the expenses that i have now these include annual subscriptions as well as like one-off business expenses like if i needed to buy a printer or something like that that would be in my business expense so definitely track all of this and it will 100 percent save you so much time once taxes come around because when you have to fill out that uh, self-employed version of taxes there's a lot of (laughs) nitty-gritty details um, that you need to include and they even give you categories like you can uh, for example write off your home office Uh, you basically take the square footage of your home office 
and you calculate what percent of the rent that would be and then you can claim that in your taxes because that space that you're using in your business obviously your cell phone bill if you use your cell phone for both business and personal then you would only take half of that total annual cost of the cell phone bill and claim that as a deductible because half of it is used for business unless you have a cell phone just you know for your business then that's different so there's a lot of different ways that you can claim um, deductibles on taxes that that would probably be a whole episode on its own but in general the concept here is to make sure that you are separating your business account and your personal account so that you can focus on some of those personal financial milestones um, especially when it comes to purchasing big property like if you want to buy a house at some point if you want to get a brick and mortar at some point like I said having your own business account and having that trackable income and just revenue and expenses and how you handle your money as like a history within a business account is going to really help you when those kind of big moves start to happen. Welcome to the No Sugar Added Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Of course, anytime. I'm so excited to be here. I'm honored that you even asked me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. Uh, So before we get started, I always like to let my podcast guests introduce themselves. I did a little bit of an intro for you earlier on in the conversation, but it's great to kind of hear directly from the person. So let all of our listeners know how amazing you are, you know, what you do, where to find you. Of course, of course. So my name is Margaret Remy. I am a public health scientist and a personal wealth coach. And I teach black women how to master their money basics in order to make room for wealth. Um, And the reason that I'm really geared towards black women and other minority women is because of the huge wealth gap that I discovered through my studies as a a health scientist. So I saw this huge health gap, really. And, um, you know, in the studies, we see that poverty is an indicator of um, poor health. So, uh, and, you know, through conversations with friends, I was like, you know what, this is something that is really important to me. So I started, you know, teaching people how to, you know, rethink their money and be more strategic with how they um, spend and how they um, budget so that when they get more money, they know how to use it properly and really build wealth for themselves. Yes, that's amazing. So before we get into the nitty gritty... In our bag. (laughs) I'd like to start off the conversation with a little bit of a background for our listeners to know kind of, you know, how you and I met, what's Mm -hmm. our story. So Mm -hmm. I'll kick it off. Margaret and I met at an event uh, called Being Intentional in 2020. It was a vision board party event earlier this year um, by Unwind Conversations. And we were both actually invited to uh, be guest speakers. I hosted a strategic goal-setting workshop and a Q&A on self-employment. And Margaret did an amazing session on setting financial intentions for 2020. And that's definitely one of the main reasons why I immediately thought of her when I was thinking about doing uh, an episode on personal finance. 
Yeah, it was amazing, and it was. I, I was like, wow, there's so many people here that are really serious about, you know, being intentional in 2020, and <laughs> thank goodness for that because 2020 took a turn, okay? Yes. But, you know, I, I still see those women, you know, we all connected via social media, and I still see those women thriving and living their best lives. Like, they're like, yeah, you know, this, these things happen. We're having a pandemic within a pandemic, but that's fine. <laughs> We're going to make sure. Um, so yeah, it was a really great event, and of course, I bombarded you and told you immediately to open um, a high yield savings account, as I do every person I meet. <laughs> like if you start talking to me about money in 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you to go to Marcus.com. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, Margaret, today's topic is about managing personal finances while self-employed. So there are mm -hmm. three key areas that I really want to focus on. The first one is savings. The second one um, is about separating bank accounts. And the third topic is about budgets. I think it would be really cool to start off with the idea of separating personal finance and business finance to kind of set it up for our self-employed people or yeah. people who have a side hustle. Yeah. Um, you know, to kind of talk about that distinction. So mm -hmm. what is the best way to manage your bank account? That's a really good um, uh, question. So, you know, with as a personal wealth coach, I really focus on your personal finances, but as a business owner, this is something that is definitely near and dear to my heart. And I'm still learning about separating your personal and business, but I know that number one, it's it's the number one most important thing to do. So like if anybody pays you to do anything for them that is, you know, with your business name, whether or not you have an LLC registered, put it in a separate account. It'll be so much easier whenever you get help for taxes or whenever you even attempt to do your taxes yourself, you'll find that it'll be so much more straightforward to be like, oh, this account, this is how much I got for my business and in this account, this is how much I got for personal, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, that helps with mindset too. Mindset is a huge thing for me. And separating those accounts, you know, ideally having them at different banks, you know that that money is for your business, you know, wh whether or not you can pour it back into your business, whether or not you're going to leave it there and let it just gain interest. And that's a tip. Get an, an interest-bearing account, okay? Even if it's not a business account, you know, just go, go to Ally, you know, uh, Wealthfront now has a 0.35% interest checking to their cash account. Just open a separate account that ha is interest bearing and put money and set up a direct deposit or set up Stripe or PayPal or whatever to pour into there. So that way you know you know, you're separating that and you're saying you know I'm going to be disciplined with that. This is the money that my business is giving me. I'm only going to use it for business related things. And that really sets the tone um, and the kind of the framework for how you want your business to be run separately from your personal finances. Yeah, absolutely. So things I want to pull from that. So you can, you're recommending to have a separate bank even for your business account. And then if you do have the same bank, like having different uh, kinds of accounts. So I'll use myself mm -hmm. as an example. So for me personally, I bank with PNC, and PNC has three separate accounts where it's like your checking, which they call like spending, a reserve, and a growth account. Any extra money after bills, I just yeah. throw in my reserve um, and then also my growth. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and then for my business account, I bank with Citizen Trust Bank uh, yeah. for my business account. Okay. And I just keep everything there for like business expenses. Nice. So my question to you is, because you know you're all about percentages and you mentioned interest-bearing yeah. accounts. Mm -hmm. So what are a few deciding factors that helped you choose your current bank accounts that you mm -hmm. have and like however you have that set up? Great question. So um, the number one thing I look for in a bank, you know, after all the numbers, and I'll mention what those numbers are later, is if it's FDIC insured. So I, want, I always want to make sure that FDIC is just a fancy way of saying the money that this bank stores is backed by, is insured by the federal government. So if anything happens, you know, up to a certain amount, um, most banks are 150000 some are 250000 If you have that amount or less, you are guaranteed that you still have your money if something happens um, to, the, to the money being stored at the bank. Um, so that's the number one thing. Um, someone, I had someone on Instagram asking me about an account I'd never heard of, so I did a quick, quick Google search, and, you know, they had this astronomical um, interest that they were giving to people, and I was like, that's too good to be true, and it was, right? Um, it was true, but they weren't FDIC insured. They had this third-party insurer, and while that may be fine, I just was uneasy with that, you know, like, yeah. what what does that look like, you know, how, how am I paying for that insurance, you know what I mean? So that's the number one thing I look for. And then, of course, you know, based on my financial goals and my financial focus, I look at what the percent is. And right now, percentage interest rates are a little bit lower because of the economy. The idea is that, you know, you're setting your mind to put your money somewhere where it's going to grow no matter what, and you're only going to take it out when you absolutely need it. So, you know, interest rate I look at, FDIC insured. You know, I made a list on my website of um, the high-yield savings and interest checking accounts that I really like that have $0 minimums or $1 minimums and no charges or fees to host that account. That's my favorite part. I don't want to have to pay to have an account that's like yeah. so 2001, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, great. I think that is a great segue into savings. How do you calculate your savings? Do you do it percentage-wise? Is it yeah. on average? So I calculate my savings based on how much of my emergency fund I have saved already or need to save more of and also you know, my income and other expenses. Um, so I, I have a set amount, and how I came up with that amount is based on, you know, how long it will take me to build up my emergency fund if I'm also saving for future travel, things like that. So I'm a type of person that in my high-yield savings account, every dollar has a job, and even in my budget, every dollar has a job. So that means that um, if you lay out all your expenses and put a dollar amount next to it. You know, for example, electric is $80, um, rent is $1,200, uh, groceries is 400 for the month, whatever, you know, all those amounts. Um, you'll know exactly how much is going to what, and then, you know, based on your income, you can see how much you have left over for other expenses, whatever other expenses are not as important. And, of course, savings and rent and food and electric and whatever, all, all of those are, you know, number one, about 40% of your budget. These are just kind of like loose numbers. And then the other, you know, I would say 30% um, are for, you know, miscellaneous items that are just not as important as like living expenses, but will come up, you know, housing-related things, 
you know, those small things that, like, don't seem important but kind of are, like, decorating lamps, things like that. Um, and, of course, then, you know, the rest are, is, like, entertainment and, um, you know, fun budget. I really, I, so the, that's kind of like a loose percentage setting. I don't do that. What I do is I start with my, I do a zero-sum budget. So what that just means that your income minus, minus your expenses equals zero. So I take my income, I do it every two weeks, because I'm paid every two weeks in my day job, and I take my income, and then I subtract all the expenses that will come out within those first two weeks, and I make sure it equals zero, and then I do the same thing again for the, um, next two weeks and then you know if there's if after all my expenses I still have some money left over then I'll divide it between my emergency fund savings and my travel budget or you know towards my entertainment line item or something like that first of all anything outside of expenses you're putting away in savings that's the first thing the second mm -hmm. thing is mm -hmm. you are categorizing your savings um, so you have it for travel or if there's like, like you said, miscellaneous, like something with your car, if you need to get your car yep. fixed or something, mm -hmm. you have that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, some other categories for entertainment or fun, like for example, you know, pre-COVID, like going out to dinner with friends or something, mm -hmm. like that. you kind of have right. that budget in there. Got it. Um, how much do you save? for your emergency fund and is it an ongoing saving or is it yeah. I have I don't know six months worth of expenses saved up and then once I hit that that's it or yeah. you continuously add to this emergency fund so you know one of my um, kind of core like values or tenets is like strategy plus honesty is equals better money management okay so that's like that was the formula that I gave at that intentional party that we met at. And that's really the formula that I follow. Um, so, you know, in being honest with myself, sometimes emergencies come up <laughs> and I use that emergency fund for it. Or sometimes, you know, I want to pay for something that I don't have that money in my checking account and I really, it's an investment in myself, you know, it's a class or a course or something. And I say, you know what, I'm going to use my money for this because this is what I was saving for. Um, you know, you define what an emergency is, obviously within reasonable bounds, right? So, you know, there t my, my emergency fund ebbs and flows, you know, I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, it, it, I'm still at the beginning of my career and beginning of my life and beginning of my business and uh, beginning of my adult life, at least, and beginning of business. And, you know, I, there's my, my emergency fund goes up and down. So I'm restarting my emergency, well, I've been restarting my emergency fund since, March now, since right around COVID started, I had to restart my emergency fund. So it was kind of a blessing that I was able to work from home and just like not spend as much so I could really pour more into my emergency fund. But, you know, going back, I, I just, I've determined how much I need for my emergency fund by developing what um, is called a noodle budget. So the budget needs to coin this term and it's um, a budget that you would create of your basic needs and, you know, it's as if you were living on ramen noodles, right? It's not that extreme, but, you know, it's, it's the idea is that, you know, you would put everything that you would you know you would need, you know, if you have investments, if you have your, your retirement account, you know, therapy, um, uh, your utilities, your rent, your food, whatever else, whatever is important to you that you know that you would want to be able to pay for during an emergency, like, like job loss, 
or um, you know you quit your job or whatever. You know you you lay out all those items that you know you're gonna need, and then that's how much you need per month. And then you take that monthly amount and you times it times three or times six to have your three month emergency fund and your six month emergency fund. In doing this, you know the exact amount you need to save. So then you just work backwards to put that money away in your regular income. Like I do every every two weeks, I'm like, okay, I need. I know for myself I need about 2500 per month base base needs, right? I spend more than 2500 a month obviously, but base needs in an emergency where I'm not spending crazy, I need about 2500 per month. So that times 6 is a number. I'm not a cal human calculator. <laughs> um, that's like uh, upwards of $13,000, right? A little mo more than that. So then that's that that means that I need to, I, I want to save $13,000 for a six-month emergency fund. That's gonna, that, that might take a little while, you know. Maybe I'll get a tax refund in January that will be able to add to that, you know. So, but now I'll have a goal that I, need, I want to reach. So that will motivate me to save more. And having that bank account separate is much more helpful because it's further away. You don't see it all the time. Transferring mm -hmm. um, from it takes a little bit longer, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like the emergency fund is indeed continuous. Always have the goal in mind, like that dollar amount uh, based off of the calculations that you gave, like this is how much I should always have in this savings account. And like you said, it's going to take you time to get to that number, but yeah. the fact that you have the number and you know that that's the number you want to get to, you should right. continuously um try to achieve that number uh, and as far as like, emergencies happen all the time and like having that savings account and all that that is a hundred percent true like like you were saying we're um, you know at the beginning of our adult lives and you know we just we're just now getting the bag <laughs> and like right we could finally kind of do these things um, right. which is great and you know when emergencies happen we're not like stressed now because yeah. we've set ourselves up for that like for example for me I recently had to uh, fix my car. There was like something wrong with the engine. Don't ask me what it was. <laughs> but all I know is I came out $1,900 for the job. Oh no, Lord. Yeah, and lucky for me, I had my mm -hmm. emergency fund and I right. was able to do it that right. way. So yeah. these things come full circle and now I need to yeah. you know, put that money back in. So like the yeah. new job. Um, on right. my end, the new task was to like get replenish that account. Um, right. It's definitely continuous. So speaking mm -hmm. of savings mm -hmm. accounts, um, you mentioned your high yield savings list that mm -hmm. you have. Do you have yeah. like a top three that you love? I do. Oh gosh, I'd have to go back and look at the list again. I can only think of one right now because it's the one that I have, <laughs> Marcus. Goldman Sachs, the one that I that I mentioned to you, I just like it because of familiarity and just like long-standing history in the U.S. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs is a huge investment bank, um, and then they created Marcus, which is you know a branded um, sector of that they have. Um, I would say for the everyday person, right, for the person who's just kind of getting an introduction into these low-level investments. And what most people don't know is a high yield savings account is a type of low level investment. 
And the reason being because you're storing your money and in return for you allowing the bank to store your money and frankly use that money to trade for their other investment um, customers, they'll guarantee you back a high, a, a high percentage return. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by definition, that is an investment, um, but it's a low-level, low-risk, right? There's a guaranteed percentage um, based on the market rate, of course, and they have every right to change that percentage. Um, and then, you know, and Marcus also has certificates of deposit, which is another type of low-level investment, but that one kind of locks it in for a number of years, also locks in that interest rate. So, you know, in the markets right now, the interest rate that you're getting back on these low-level investments are, you know, probably no higher than 1.2%. But back when I opened my CD, it was 275 and 3.15%. Mm-hmm. And that's not changing right now. <laughs> that's locked in for five and six years. So, again, the earlier you start, the better. Just do it. Just start it. It's very low risk. You're not, you, you, no one's charging you anything. Just put in a dollar, and then whatever you have extra money, transfer it over, and you'll see it. You'll see that growth, not just in the account, but in your mindset. Like, oh, I'm able to save money, and I'm able to not touch it unless I really need it, um, and I'm able to not be hard on myself when I do need it, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Start over. Yeah. Yeah, and it being in a different account, like, yeah. means you know, limited access for you. Yeah. Like, I also yeah. don't even keep certain apps on my phone so I don't yeah. see it all the time yeah, and then exactly. at a point especially if you do that direct deposit situation mm-hmm. um, where you know it's kind of just ongoing back in my corporate days I used to um, take a percentage of my check and have that yeah. be sent to my savings account that's something that you can set up yeah um, with Love that. yeah, yeah. I used to do that. I think it was like 20% of my income I was yeah. saving. And then you just learn to live on that uh, income that you're getting. Yep. And you yep. completely forget about the 20% yeah. that had been saving, um, that you've been saving and stuff. So just it a separate account and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But Marcus, um, if your employer doesn't do that or if it's like a hassle for your employer to do what um, Joanne just said, um, another thing you can do is get Marcus to do it. So you can go into your Marcus account and do automatic transfers every two weeks on, or on whatever specific date you want. So what I've done is I've um, had a specific amount transferred out of my checking into Marcus a day before or the day of that my check comes in, right? So my check comes in, the savings come out, I don't even notice it, it's gone, and then I keep it moving with my with the money that I do have. So that's another thing, too. From the self-employed standpoint, I have, you know, some colleagues who are also self-employed who use the Marcus High Yield Savings Account yeah. um, for the percentage that they take out of um, their revenue that they put aside for taxes. Mm. They it, yeah, they hold it in the high yield savings account so it's like oh, yeah, yeah. you're going to end up paying taxes using that money to pay taxes at the end of the day but oh, yeah. you also made money off of that's right you know, the money that you're going to be paying for taxes so that's another way yeah. that you can use the high yield savings accounts and you yeah. can also i think it's worth mentioning you can have multiple uh marcus high yield savings accounts oh yeah yeah oh yeah as many as you want mm-hmm mm-hmm 
Um, well, let me not say as many as you want. Probably as many as you want. But yes, you can have more. You can definitely have more than one, um, and you can manage it all online on your computer. They have the app now too. You don't have to download it if you, you know, if that's a point of discipline for you. If you don't want to even see it, you just want to keep it there. And I love that um, idea of um, transferring those estimated taxes um, to your Marcus account. I did that for five years in graduate school because I had a stipend and we had to quarterly pay our taxes. And you can look this up, quarterly tax payment dates for 2020 and go pay it for yourself federally or, and by your state. I used to do that for five years. Yeah, it was great. It was great to just transfer it over, leave it in there, and then when I needed to transfer it back and, and pay my taxes. So, or, or pay your taxes straight from the account. They have a routing number and an um, account number just like any other bank. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So moving into budgets, we've covered a lot of different budgets throughout the conversation. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to know if there was any specific tools that you use for budgeting. So I am old school <laughs> in a sense. Um, I don't even want to say old school because Excel is still a thing. Um, I use Excel. I really like Excel. I got used to Excel. Well, I hated Excel when I got used to it, <laughs> but I got used to Excel um, through my um, science research studies. I would use Excel a lot to organize some of that data, some of the genetic data I was looking at, and through that I learned a lot of formulas, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really easy for numbers, you know? And then I saw someone else, I saw someone in my lab previously, he was using Excel to organize his meal prepping, and I was like, Okay, Excel has many functions that are like we don't even know about, right? So I said, let me let me let me do Excel. So I started entering my numbers in Excel, and you know, what do you know? You know, a quick quick formula will tell me what, or quick just highlighting all the numbers will tell me the sum of the numbers. You know, it quickly tell me the sum of my expenses for that two weeks or that month. Um, you know, quick formula would tell me if my income minus my expenses truly does equal zero or if I have something left over. Yeah, so I put everything in Excel. I, even make, I make all the notes in Excel. Um, I know people use, like to use a lot of apps. I use my phone a lot, and I use a, a lot of apps. And it just gives me peace of mind to just have it on my computer and mm -hmm. where I can type notes, where I can, you know, do whatever I want. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I use yeah. Excel as well <laughs> yeah. for my mm -hmm. budgeting, but I'm also super, super old school in the fact that I write down everything that I spend. It hits a little differently. Oh. I write it, yep, every mm -hmm. single time. It's mm -hmm. like one of my bill cycles. I go into my account and I have like my little sheet of like all my money management, like everything mm -hmm. I have to write down all of my expenses. You know, I, I'm an emotional purchaser, as we all are. That you know, yeah. that's why, why I call what I do therapy style wealth coaching because the money is emotional. You know, so I'm still at a point where I'm like, okay, rethink your goals, think about how much money you have for this, think about what it's gonna be like to not have the money to be able to buy groceries because you wanted to eat thirty dollar wings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, or be strategic with your thirty dollar wings. Buy them, but now you're going to be eating wings for the next four days. Do you want to do that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So like, you know, that that truth part um, allows me to be more strategic. I just created. Um, I like that you write down all your expenses. I love that, and that is a great way to manage yourself. Um, I this 
um, this past weekend I, um, I just did the budget section part of my coaching program with my client and we, you know, we did pretty much zero sum. We left a little bit left over because we wanted to use that for the debt session. But you know, we put all the expenses in there for July and, we, and I told her every time you spend, you're going to come back into this budget and you're going to subtract from, your, from whatever, wherever you spent, you're going to subtract. Because that's how it is, right? Every time you, you don't realize that every time you're spending, it's, it's a subtraction. And it doesn't have to be a negative thing by any means, but you have to recognize that the money, the, the budget that you created to guide you, use it as a guide. <laughs> use it. Like, go back to it and know and remember how much you have left so you're not overspending your account. So, For those who don't know, can you explain the zero-sum budget? Sure. Sure. So there's there's about four main types of budgets. Um, I I don't even want to mention what the other ones are because they're it's not that complicated. They're just so like jargony. But zero sum zero based budget is to me is this more straightforward and simple one. It just means that you take how much you make and you subtract every single expense until it equals zero. So if you're a person that like you know, you take your, how much you make, let's say you, you get $1,600 every two weeks, right? And, you know, you subtract your rent, which is $12 for the first two weeks. You, you subtract your rent the first two weeks. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, $400 for food. So that $1,600 is gone for the first two weeks, okay? Next two weeks, you've got your entertainment, your savings, your retirement account, this, that, this, that, and then, you know, you still have like $500 left and you're like, well, I still have money left. Okay, spread it, spread it back out. That means you have $400 for your savings and maybe another additional dollar, another additional $100 for your investment account, your retirement account. So, you know, I, I, I push for, every, for it to equal zero because then every dollar has a job and there's just not this idea of free money floating around yes. to, be, to be used, you know, not in a strategic way. I feel I like love that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's Everything the Everything is mm-hmm. accounted for. Absolutely. Every dollar is accounted for, or as I like to say, every dollar has a job. Every dollar has a job. I mm-hmm. love that. No freeloading dollars around here. <laughs> <laughs> and there's food at home, people. There's food at home. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm about to start having people write, there's food at home. There's food at home. Please. <laughs> Well, I think what I really want to end on is where I think you thrive the most. And in how do you make room for wealth? Man, and that's that's something that I've been, like, uh, trying to create a lot of more dialogue around, too. You know, I think the number one thing for making room for wealth is changing your mindset. And and that's a growth process, and that's over, and that's going to take time. You know, I'm still working on my mindset. You know, everyone has all these tips for building wealth. You know, invest in this. You know, um, buy real estate, this, this. And that's wonderful. But if it comes at a time when you're not mentally prepared to, you know, focus on a particular goal, you're not mentally prepared to, you know, open certain accounts and be confident in that. You know, I have clients that are afraid to open up high-yield savings account because they don't understand or trust it. You know, so that's that part of the mindset part is, you know, understanding the necessary te- steps it needs to properly manage 
money, no matter how much money you have, and being confident in your ability and trusting your ability to, to consistently manage it and be okay with forgiving yourself when you mess up because you're going to because that's life. You know, um, I always equate um, making room for wealth to, you know, diet culture or, or uh, losing weight. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of programs there that will be strict. You six days a week work out, six days a week have all your meals prepped. You only get one cheat day. And I've done those programs too, <laughs> you know. And, and, and what every good coach will tell, every good fitness coach will tell you is it's a lifestyle change. And you eat the cookie, eat the damn cookie. You know what I mean? Um, and you wouldn't tell a good coach wouldn't tell a person on a diet to. Well, a good coach wouldn't tell a person to take a di- to go on a diet, right? Because a diet is just toxic, in my opinion, right? Just like a good wealth coach wouldn't tell you to just go ahead and invest and buy that house and buy this without first checking checking your mind and making sure that you know you are in, in, in a right place to get rid of bad habits or in a right place to acknowledge that you have bad habits mm-hmm. and be okay with slowly pivoting and making those changes so that when more comes, you're managing it properly. Um, I don't think we talk about that enough. Um, you know, a lot of people will, and you know, you, and another prime example is, you know, athletes, athletes that come straight out of college and you know we're all 22 and we at one point and we've messed up and you just spend money you have no idea what you're doing and you don't know you don't have the knowledge and you're you know you've got twenty thousand dollars sitting in a checking account not giving you interest that's painful like oh my god that's painful like don't do that split that put ten thousand in one high yield and ten thousand in another high yield but you don't know that because you don't have the right mindset so I think the number one thing in, in making room is is my is changing your mindset. And then another thing that I actually, one tip I wanted to give business owners is, you know, apart from um, keeping your business account separate, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a business account, it can just be another checking account that just your business money goes into, is record every purchase you make and keep all your receipts for your taxes. Um, you know, the, the federal government might, it does not believe you that you <laughs> spent this for your business. Prove it. Have your receipts for everything, um, and every purchase that you make, record it because come tax time, that'll be deductible from the income that you've made, so that your tax bracket is lower. Yep. So, what does generational wealth mean to you? That's huge. Whew. That it means to me that the the proper mindset and habits around wealth. Making room for wealth and building wealth are passed down again and again. And those gems and pieces of wisdom are not lost. So, you know, me as an individual right now, I have been really lucky to have parents who told me to open up credit cards at 18 and told me what a credit card was for and taught me taught me what a credit card was for before I decided a credit card was for shopping, right? <laughs> they told me credit cards are to build your credit and they're borrowed money, and it's not your money. So if you're going to swipe a credit card, you better make sure you have that money in your checking account ready to pay it when the bill comes. Yeah. Um, so that, that's generational wealth to me because they gave me the proper tools I needed so that when I get, when I amass wealth, I know how to manage it properly. And then, you know, me passing that on to many people through my business and to, you know, 
my nieces and nephews and kids if I have them down too you know is I really want and and the reason I started this business is that I really want people to create products of wealth I want them to be I want them to be products of wealth themselves by learning how to make room and then passing that down to whoever is around them laterally and down so that's what it means to me that's beautiful I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I love everything that you just said, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and all of these amazing gems. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. So it's always good to, you know, chat about this stuff. I can talk about this stuff all day. I know, like, I spent two minutes in each response, and you're probably like, when is this girl going to stop and take a breath? (laughs) But thank you. If anything, I was like, locked in. So before we sign off, please Mm -hmm. take the time to let our audience know where they can find you, like where your website, your Instagram account, um, if you have any new projects happening, um, just, you know, give them everything. Of course. Thanks for that um, opportunity to do that. So I am on all social media at Product of Wealth. So literally how you spell product of wealth, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook.com slash product of wealth. Um, I'm at margaretremy.com. That's my website where you can go get, you know, um, tips and tricks and tools on how to manage the money that you have now so that you can be a, um, a better um, user of it when more money comes. So I created a 21-day challenge that will give you, you know, videos and emails on how to really get started and dig deep no matter what financial situation that you're in. So margaretremy.com is spelled M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T-R-E-M-I.com. All one word, no spaces, no capitalization needed. Yeah, I'm just excited to for everyone to be products of wealth themselves by learning that wealth mindset and, and thankful for the opportunity to be on this podcast. I'm so excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate it. Until next time. Of course. All right. Talk to you later. Oh, man, that was awesome. So here's your cup of excellence, otherwise known as the one thing you should remember from this episode as major key. To be a successful business owner, you have to accept that you will have some slow months. It's inevitable. You simply need to plan accordingly by creating a budget, building an emergency fund, and planning for taxes. There you have it. That's today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to our email list so that you can get our cheat sheet with all of the gems. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook for all the latest updates at No Sugar Added Pod. That's P O D. Chat with y'all soon.